And now, will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence filled with expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So, my theater or acting career was a very short one. It started about the ninth grade when I got the leading female role at a play that we called Trouble at the OK Corral. Yeah. And then it ended abruptly a couple of years later when I tried out for a singing part in Oklahoma. I'm not sure if it was my singing ability or actually the song that I chose to demonstrate that ability, which was, I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Here's my handle, here's my spout. But in those couple of years, I learned a lot about stage presentation. And once my acting career was over, I found myself kind of behind the scenes, and mostly at the back of the theater. I was learning about lighting. And my favorite lighting device was that big cylinder-looking spotlight that would swirl around and whirl around, and I could use the aperture to zoom in or zoom out and call attention and bring people's eyes to exactly where I wanted to do. That aperture could go as small as to light just the face of the actor on the stage, or it could go large enough to light an entire vignette on the stage. Once I I found out that that the lighting is a make-it-or-break-it aspect of at least high school productions, it plays a large role in drawing the eye of the spectator onto what is most meaningful taking place on the stage. John the Baptist understands how to redirect the spotlight. He knew how to draw the tension away from himself. He was was careful to point towards Jesus as he prepared the people for the coming of the Lamb of God. When he... uh, When we... uh, (laughs) We have been taking a look at Jesus, simply Jesus... As this evangelist unfold their perspective of the life that he lived, what he did, and what matter it means to us. So as Jesus makes his way onto the world scene, he captures the attention of the people. And he makes them aware that he is the Messiah that they've been long awaiting for, hoping for, uh, to change their oppressive circumstances. John's Gospel the one that we'll be reading from this morning, actually skips the, the birth narrative altogether in, in choosing instead to start with this prologue, this mix of prose and poetry that introduces the way God incarnate becomes flesh and lives among us in the world. In fact, we're introduced to John the Baptist even before we're introduced to Jesus in the gospel according to John. The people who wait for the promised Messiah, hear John the Baptist's fiery sermons, and and they wonder if he, he might be the one. But John takes no credit. He says, I am not the Messiah. According to the evangelist's account, John redirects the focus towards Jesus at least five times before they actually introduce Jesus on the scene. But when Jesus does arrive, the spotlight shifts and it draws all attention of every curious soul, the reader and the actors alike. 
Let us read this account when Jesus enters the scene. It's found in John's Gospel, the first chapter, verses 35 through 42. Listen now to what the evangelist has to share with us. The next day, John, again, was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. Well, they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which means, which translates Peter. May God add blessing to this reading of Holy Scripture today. The evangelist establishes Jesus' identity in this story as he calls his first disciples. Jesus notices that these two disciples of John are now following him, and so he simply turns and says, What are you looking for? It seems a pretty straightforward question, really. But the reader expects some sort of response from the people about him being the Messiah. After all, the, the author has put together and set the stage that the people are so expecting this Messiah to emerge on the scene. But it's a loaded question, I think. It gets at the core of what every human being is looking for in their lives. The search for meaning that has been prevalent as far back as the first century and probably even before that, as prevalent as it is today. Perhaps the two were looking for a little new adventure to liven up their life from their sleepy little villages. Or maybe they were wanting to make a difference in the world, so they were hoping to join some kind of resistance movement so that they could uh, overthrow the oppression of the Roman system. Or maybe they had hoped to find themselves by taking up a lifestyle that, that uh, was monastic, like John the Baptist's lifestyle. Whatever they were seeking, it compelled them to go looking for it. And the great thinkers of our faith have always pointed to the fact that people have always been looking for something more in their lives. As early as the... Um, uh, 8th century, Frederick Schulemacher says that we're looking for this taste of the infinite. And then in the 20th century, it was Paul Tulick that said that we are concerned with that which is ultimate or something that is beyond our own self, something bigger or outside of ourselves that we continue to look for. There must be something compelling about Jesus because they find themselves following him, but yet there must have been something kind of intimidating, at least confounding about him, because when he asks them, what are you looking for, they have no response. 
They cannot find in the depths of that probing question the words that they could express their need. Instead, they simply return a question. Rabbi, where are you staying? Where are you pitching your tent? Where will you be dwelling, they ask. They may not know exactly what they were looking for, but they knew at least in part that Jesus would come close to offering them a an example of being part of that, of that answer. Their question, however, gives Jesus the opportunity to extend this eternal invitation. Come and see, he says. He, uh, they do come and they do see. They see miracles of healing, water turned into wine. They see the feeding of thousands of people on limited resources. They are the witness to the Messiah that was not so much like their aspirations, their Jewish aspirations had held. He was not going to be the royalty that they expected, but rather he was going to be royal in the way that he hung out with people like Samaritans and, um, and sinners and outcasts and demonstrated power of love and how much stronger that was than the destruction of war. They see him wash their feet and then speak to them about forgiveness, forgiveness of their own abandonment, forgiveness of their own betrayal. They see him hang on a cross and breathe his last breath. When he dies, it's three days later as they gather in that upper room, confused and scared, they see him alive. They witness that he has conquered death itself. To see the kingdom of God is more than an opportunity to join the Messiah Club. A club that is filled with human expectations and human constructs of what's in and what or who is out. In John's Gospel, the invitation to come and see is an invitation to find one's own identity by developing a vision for discipleship. After spending only a day with Jesus, Andrew tells his brother, Simon, that he has found the Messiah. And when Simon meets Jesus, Jesus changes his identity from Simon, the son of John, to Cephas, which is rock, or Peter. And it is later in that same gospel that Jesus tells Peter that upon this rock he will build his church. What Peter found was more than membership in a Messiah club. What Peter found was his own identity as a member of Christ's living, breathing body that brings light into the darkest corners of the world and the darkest corners of the empire of the day and inviting others to come and see as well. Friends, all of us come to church for different reasons. We come to this place seeking something in our lives. Perhaps you sit there because it's a habit, it's a long-held family tradition, and that is wonderful and that is good. Perhaps you come to this place because you find a place to belong, a place where you connect with God and with other people whom you love, who love God. Perhaps this is a place that is a good influence on your children. And so you bring them faithfully. Or it may even represent to you a place to start over when 
you've made mistakes or you've missed opportunities in your life. Or maybe you're here today because it's your job. Whatever the reason you find yourself today, I hope that it is your heart that brings you here. It is your desire to find meaning and purpose beyond yourself, but for yourself. We come for all different reasons, but I can hear Jesus asking us, what are you looking for? In a world that offers us all kinds of answers to that problem, to that question, we humans are attracted to the illusion of successful life in all kinds of ways. We see it when we turn on the radio, we look at it on YouTube, we see it around us offering us all kinds of false securities. As humans, we love to envision how we might find happiness in the next promotion or the corner office or the next raise or the next appropriate neighborhood to live in or the the next best group to belong to or the next best team to root for. Anything but what Jesus is asking us to look for. The problem with these human solutions to this question, what are you looking for, is that they often leave us empty. They often leave us desiring more, seeking more, wanting more. These human solutions often rob us of what we were created to be and to do, and that is to have a relationship with God through Christ. And the problem with becoming a member of the Messiah Club alone is that we sometimes seek Jesus as one who will bring us what we want, rather than transform us into points of light in the world where we can be invitational and offer to bring others towards Jesus. So Jesus invites. Jesus says, come and see. Jesus invites us to join him in this journey, not to join a club, but to take a journey with him even if we're not sure exactly what it is that we are looking for. But I have to warn you, that journey is a radical one. It will inspire us. It will probably surprise us and challenge us, and most certainly, it will stretch us. Yet by the grace of God, we may see Jesus in what every human, in Jesus, what every human being is looking for. So come and see. And by the way, bring a friend. Thanks be to God. Amen.